Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning in California, we have a special guest, John Matthews of the Election Integrity Project California joins us. Thanks for being here, John. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Great. Great to have you. So we brought John on this morning to talk about election integrity issues in California. John is um, uh, familiar with the issues in uh, election integrity in California. He has a lot of experience, a lot of insight on this, and a lot of concern about how things are set up and how maybe we can make things better. Um, so we'd love to focus on election integrity and how we can improve the system to make it more uh, reliable and trustworthy for people of all sorts of people that might have concerns about it. So thanks. For, thanks again for being here, John. No problem. No problem. I, I, I guess I would just start by saying the, 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 the fix for all of this actually is to focus on returning integrity to the process by which the ballots are cast and counted. That's really what we're about, uh, making sure that every legally cast ballot is counted accurately. That, that's our mission, that's our goal. So when people talk about the integrity of the system, that is what has been compromised and that is what has put our entire, which I believe the cornerstone of the Republic is our election system. We're the only government in the history of mankind that the government was created by the very people that were being governed by it. And so to lose the integrity of the vote uh, completely destroys uh, and, and basically eradicates any rights that we have as American citizens to make sure that we have fair and honest elections and that the people that we want in office are actually put in office. Right. Yeah. Um, now, I know that you're not allowed to talk or to make comments about any kind of lawsuits that are currently happening or um, but uh, maybe if you can, can you talk about a lawsuit that has can you just reference that a lawsuit has been filed? Oh, yes. Yes. I, like you said, I, I can I can certainly give everybody an update. It's public common knowledge. Uh, we've issued press releases on it. So I can certainly update your listeners as to where we're at in the process. Uh, we filed a lawsuit. I guess the best way to, to put this is that we filed our first lawsuit against the state of California in 2016 over the voter rolls. Uh, the fact that the voter rolls have been not kept up, have not been maintained as required by the National Voter Registration Act, which was signed into law in 1993 by Bill Clinton. Might be 94, might, it might have been 1994. Um, and so um, we filed a lawsuit because of the fact that we know that the voter rolls were not claimed and it allowed over the 20 years since the law had been passed to allow for the manipulation or the issuance of ballots that shouldn't have been issued uh, and then having those ballots come in and be counted. So, so you're talking about uh, they were issued through mail, through the U.S. mail? 
Yes, yes, okay. because the, the vote by mail system began, I believe, in that that election cycle, and at that time it was not a mandate. It was it was just something they did. People could actually um, request a vote by mail ballot, and then there were some ballots that were just being mailed out based on the voter rolls. Um, so that was actually the beginning of the process that that tipped us off that the voter rolls. Uh, because they were not maintained, that there was potential for ballots going to places that they shouldn't go and being cast by people maybe that they shouldn't be cast by. So we actually, the state of California actually settled that lawsuit with us. And if you understand the legal jargon, settlement is saying you're right without admitting guilt. It's like when you settle a court case, you're basically saying, yeah, you're right, but we're not going to admit that we did anything wrong. So uh, the result was that the court had ordered California to clean up the voter rolls. They claimed that they did. At the time, the lawsuit was settled. I believe we had estimated 1.6 million people on a voter roll in California that should not have been on a voter roll uh, for whatever reason, either deceased or had moved out of the county or had a, uh, left the state, all different reasons. Name changes, people get married, their name changes. There's a whole bunch of reasons why um, the roles should be kept up that way. Anyway, um, over the course of time, a lot of those voters made it back onto the roles uh, through various means. And then in 2020, with the COVID pandemic uh, in full swing, we found that as observers, people that were legally and lawfully allowed to go and observe the elections under the under the uh, conditions set forth in election code, that we were being hindered and obstructed from observing the election processing of the ballots the way that we were legally supposed to be allowed. Distances, uh, we had certain places you would go and they would tell us that we had to stand 50 or 100 feet away and try to observe what was going on when the law says that we should be at least, we can be no closer than three feet. So there were all these different things that were taking place. And so we filed the lawsuit in 2021. There were 17 congressional candidates that joined the lawsuit as plaintiffs. Uh, we filed the lawsuit against Governor Newsom. Secretary of State Weber, former Secretary of State Alex Padilla, former Attorney General Xavier Barrera, and 17 of the county registrars. They were the defendants. That case right now is sitting in front of the Ninth Circuit. And we're simply waiting for the first judge that got the case dismissed the case without viewing the evidence. He did not want to see the evidence. So he just dismissed the case. I put it into the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit is we're presently waiting um, for a date to present oral arguments for our case. And that really is where we stand at right now. We're just waiting for a date from the Ninth Circuit to say, yes, you can come in and present your argument. The state had filed a motion to dismiss the case. And then we were told that we were allowed to be able to submit a rebuttal. And that's what we're waiting for, a date to submit the, the oral arguments on the rebuttal of the uh, request by the state to dismiss the case. So that's where we're at on that. 
Uh, so we'll see what happens down the road. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, I'm interested to hear how that goes at the night circuit. Um, the, uh, that's a, that's a, it's painful to hear you talk about this for me because, um, there's so many things that play here. And, uh, one is I, that I can think of, I'll just off the top of my head, just kind of shooting, shooting from the hip here, John. <laughs> uh, one is that it seems like, um, it's a legitimate concern of the citizen that there be, uh, a clean election that, that there's, um, as much trustworthiness in the system as possible. And it seems like, I don't know how you get that without transparency. And well, there is. at the same time, the government as is at its most powerful when it takes itself or it tells other people that it's fighting a war or it's fighting some kind of public health thing. Um, now, if people, if, if, if the public health thing isn't being fought correctly or if it's overblown, unless most people see that for what it is, the government will just remain that powerful. And uh, for however long people don't see through that. And, and unfortunately the transparency will be lost, I think in the system. And I think the transparency is really the, the issue that makes it trustworthy because as a citizen, I'm just speaking as a citizen, right? Cause I don't want to get fired from the podcast. I'm, this is my personal view, John. Mm -hmm. uh, of course I'm the boss of the podcast, so I would have to be the one that fires me. So there's that. So, but I don't want to make myself mad, but I have a really cool boss. He's really great. Me. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I have a stupid sense of humor, John. Sorry. Uh, I got to entertain myself over here. Um, but, but I, I wonder if people um, could really see that with the uh, COVID protocols, that, that transparency was really at stake there and that, uh, that there is a tension between uh, the public health response or I would say the public health panic, that's how I would put it, um, and and transparency and trustworthiness. If you don't have the transparency, you don't have the trustworthiness. And so a lot of people think that their vote doesn't count. I mean, you just said 1.6 million people on the voter roll uh, that shouldn't be there. Um, even if you're even, let's say you're not even close, but you're halfway there. That's still a hell of a lot of people, 800,000 people. And that's if you're off by 50%. So, and you could be undercounting it. So, um, how do you come up with a number that big, 1.6 million? Well, by simply going through the voter rolls and being able. That would to take a lot of time. How how would you know all that? How would you have the, all that we, information? About we had people that moved? did that. We had analysts that went through and did the research, 
you know, put in the time and effort and came up with the idea. I mean, once you get the voter rolls, uh, we, you know, we have systems today that uh, you can put something like that on a spreadsheet. You can sort it. You can do all kinds of things. And you can, it, it doesn't take as much effort as people might think it does, given the technology that we have today to be able to look at things and be able to determine what's going on. I mean, we're looking at a system now that is run completely on algorithms that when a, when results get to a certain place, a, a there's an aspect of the process you can kick in to counter whatever trend is going one way or the other. I mean, that, that's a whole different discussion, but um, we do know that the numbers are there. We do know they're valid. The state acknowledged that the, that our claim was valid when they settled the lawsuit. Oh, okay. Uh, that's a big deal. Are your yeah. settlement terms, are they public or were they sealed? Yes, they are. Okay. Yes, you, you, yeah. you, can, uh, you can, or you could go to our website, eip-ca.com and find the documentation there. Uh, you just go out and do your search and just type in, um, Election Integrity Project California lawsuit, and you'll get any information that's out there on both lawsuits, the one that was settled and the one that's currently in the process right now. So, John, so it is, is it, public is information. Fair, so, John, is it fair to say then that the state acknowledged that they sent over a million ballots out that were not on the voter rolls? What they acknowledged is that there were 1.6 million people on the voter rolls that should not have been there. Okay, that each, each of those people got a ballot, right? From the well, US we don't know that. Uh, we don't know that, or they wouldn't admit it. Let's put it that way. Okay, that's why I said when you when you get a settlement, you you say, yeah, we made a mistake, but we're not responsible for that mistake. So that allows them to basically um, work around it. You know, you, you can basically just say, yeah, we're we're guilty, but we're not guilty. No, we're guilty, but we're not accountable. Let me put it that way. (laughs) That's not how they would put it, but yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a stipulation by both parties that uh, actually a settlement would be, it would, both parties are settling, right? It's not like one party settling and the other one's not, Uh, that would be not be a settlement. So no, that's, that's not true because they settled. We made the charges. We didn't have to settle anything. We were the ones that levied the charges. They settled by agreeing that the voter rolls were not kept up that they needed to be claimed. Was that acceptable so that was to the you? Settlement. The settlement was their admission that the voter rolls were not claimed. But but what I'm I'm what I'm asking is is uh, to to settle the the case, they had to satisfy you the plaintiff, right? You they were the defendant, right? The government was the defendant, right? Okay. So to settle it wouldn't have been accepted by the court as a settlement unless the plaintiff said, yes, this is, this is acceptable. Right. 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 And and again, this is, you got to understand how politicians think you can admit that you did wrong and you can admit that something needs to be done. That doesn't mean that you'll actually do it. Okay. And and that that is the the quagmire with filing a lawsuit at the state level and say, when, okay, now you go back and you say, um, okay, well, they settled and they agreed that they were wrong and they agreed they would do something, but they haven't done anything. Well, now you run into the case of uh, how do you enforce that? 
Right. That's a court issue. And if the courts yeah. won't do it, then it's right. basically, it becomes moot, you know, yeah. and then it's actually one of the arguments that I hear from people that say, well, you guys won this lawsuit, but nothing happened. Well, that isn't our fault. We did, we did the due diligence. We filed the lawsuit. We saw it through. So whose fault is that? To me, it's the voters. Mm. Because the voters put these people in office. Right. If you didn't put somebody like a Gavin Newsom in office, you wouldn't have the judges that you've got. If you didn't have somebody right. like Barack Obama in office, you wouldn't have the judges you've got. That yeah. kind of stuff. So it really... What happens, and I just, I may be sounding kind of negative here, but the truth of the matter is, is that the average voter today in America has no idea what's going on in terms of the integrity of the elections process, and much more don't really seem to care uh, enough to do the due diligence and to, to just do a simple thing like vet their candidates that they vote for. When you vote down a strict party line just because it's a party line, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that you can look at both parties today and not tell the difference between them. There is no real difference. Uh, it's just who wants to run the show. But the, the end game is pretty much the same. Preserve our own personal power. And, and that's about all it comes down to. But, um, you know, that's just that's me. That's my personal opinion on that. But. Um, the actual when it gets back when getting back to the integrity of the election, preserving that integrity, you're absolutely right. Transparency is everything. But I said all that to say this: what you see happening in today's world of politics is that these types of words that we talk about, integrity and fairness and transparency, mean different things depending on who's speaking it. So if, if uh, in, the, in the leftist point of view, transparency is more about justifying the means to the end, all right? That I, I'm going to be transparent about what I want, but I'm not going to be transparent about why I want it. So you just sell, you sell the objective, okay? We want, to make, we want to be able to include everybody in the election process. Whether or not you want to vote doesn't matter anymore. We, we, you need to be included in the process. It's not a privilege anymore. Uh, it's a requirement. And since you're too lazy to get off your butt and go down and vote in person, we're going to mail you a ballot. And we'll do even better than that. We'll have somebody come to your house and pick it up and tell you how to vote. You know, it can go, <laughs> it can go into the extreme real easy. Sure. They, uh, they seem to have the numbers for that. I don't understand how they have so many numbers it's amazing they're able to motivate people to do that um but at, at the same time there is a concern uh i think the the let's just air it out and you know that way we want to be fair in case there's somebody listening to this and they they hear us not mention the concern they're going to just write off what we're saying because they don't think that we understand why there is a, a, a ballot mailed out now. The ballot that's mailed out is, I think the concern is that there are people that are not able to get to the uh, precinct in person. I don't really think it's a voter ID issue, although if there was one passed in California, um, I think they would make that an issue. I'm sure that the Democrats definitely don't want that. But 
I think uh, the concern is a legitimate one that there are people that are disabled and it, it's a it's a quite a hardship or maybe they're sick. Uh, it's quite a hardship to get to the precinct. Um, maybe they work far away. There's a lot of traffic. I don't know. But um, the shotgun approach, the blanket sledgehammer approach to just send everybody a ballot seems to be a bit overblown. Uh, so it seems to be a lot of cost. Um, and a lot of room for potential nefarious activity if people were really to study it it seems like you'd have to really study it like a full-time job to figure out how to make it work for the outcome that you wanted but it seems like it would be possible at least in some instances to do that um, whereas it would be a lot harder i think if everybody had to show up in person and show id and then you know your vote is kind of counted so how do you think what is your preference that people show up in in person and show up yeah I, I i would address what you were just saying earlier about people that can't show up and vote there was a time that we had a system in, in place here that a voter with such a problem whatever it be uh could request a mail ballot they used to call them absentee ballots they're, they're in California, the absentee ballot is really no longer relevant because everything is full by mail now. But the, you know, if you had an extenuating circumstance, you could request a ballot. There's nothing wrong with that. That would be transparent because that voters requested it, they receive it, and they send it back in. And the only deal you have, the only thing you have to deal with is the chain of custody once it hits the post office. But when you just say, okay, because well, we voters, have these there's there's all there's also ballot drops so for example right. the one that i use is at the fire station and uh then i say hi to the firemen while i'm there dropping off the ballot so right yeah i, I mean, can, I can return that myself right there's there, you know it, it's not to say that there there isn't there shouldn't be provision for people that have difficulty in getting to vote in person what we're saying is Okay, so because you have this demographic that needs this kind of service, well, well, the way to solve that is to send everybody a ballot. That it, 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 it's silly logic, and and, and so, but but that's what, what I was does, calling a sledgehammer approach. I was calling it yeah. the the shotgun or sledgehammer approach. Right. Like, well, that's how they dealt with the uh, the public health panic it became a panic because there was this huge sledgehammer that came down on the economy and right. all of a sudden you're starting to use orwellian terms like essential people and inessential people and and it's like well hold on a second how how why is the government saying that my small business is essential or inessential essential for well, what for i think for true. i think true, i think true to the point was when when was it determined that government workers were essential? I, I that in and of itself is oxymoronic. And you would there's nothing essential about government. It's that we've allowed it to become essential, and it was never designed that way. Well, if the government is making the determination, it's just like if I would if 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 the governor said you may uh, uh, 
the we're going to go by whatever the Republican professor podcast labels as essential and inessential. And it's now up to me in California to label uh, essential or inessential. I'm going to just pick, uh, you know, Chick-fil-A is essential and uh, McDonald's is inessential. Um, my local bookstore is essential. Amazon delivery, not essential. I, it's just going to be based on my what. So if the government is the one that's picking, of course they're going to pick themselves. Of course they're going to. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I'm essential. Yes. Yeah, but to see that that you just emphasized everything that that is really kind of wrong with the, the entire system is that we the voters have allowed the government to be able to make these determinations. It's no longer the government by the people for the people and of the people. It is now the government and we are the subjects. We're right back into the days of King George. It's just you've got a body of people making tyrannical decisions instead of a monarchy. So that's really the essential problem that we're dealing with in terms of, of restoring integrity to the election process is the, the people that are voting, instead of sitting around and complaining about it, need to become actively involved and, and and do their due diligence as citizens to make sure that it gets back to the way it's supposed to be. That re requires yeah. more attention to detail in terms of who we actually sure. put in office. Yeah. And well, once you get the right people in office, then these things would correct themselves yeah. uh, just because of the, the, the moral factor, just the, you know, the transparency would come back. So well, that's, part that's of the really, that's, 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 part that's of a hard lesson. That's right. a hard lesson for voters. That's, that's yeah. a part of the reason we're, that this podcast exists is, is to help people become uh, more educated, more informed um, through quality conversations that try to restore political balance on, on campuses and, and in culture. Um, so that's one aspect of what we're doing, trying to get critical thinking, you know, but there is a real challenge though, to that. And that is that as if it's not hard enough to teach critical thinking and logic to these, uh, uh, Californians, which is, which is kind of a pain sometimes, uh, they don't want to eat the med, they don't want to have their medicine, but at the same time, the, the ballot is coming out. And it's very complicated. I mean, it's there's so many names that you've never heard of. And it's a lot to digest. I mean, how how in the world are you supposed to learn enough about who, who what your preference is and what what's best for the state? Um, what's best for the county? It's a lot to consider, and I think a lot of people have a hard enough time just wondering what's good for me personally, let, let alone what's good for the county and what's good for the state, because sometimes what's good for me is not necessarily good for the state, and what's good for me or what I think is good for me is not necessarily good for the county. So uh, how, do you, how do you suggest that people go about making that determination or go about that process? Well, we're not talking about election integrity here, so we're talking about basically just you're you're asking me a very subjective question. Um, I believe that the, the best way I can explain it, the way that I talk to people about it, 
is that understanding what a republic is is the is the essential groundwork. That's the, the foundation. And the foundation of republic is the value of the individual. That is the basis for the republic. Every individual is valuable. Every individual was created in the image of God by God, and therefore every individual has value to not only God, but to the society that they live in. So our emphasis should be in our relationship with the one who created us. And so if we work on that relationship and maintain that, then it seems like everything else just becomes inherently reasonable. We can say, okay, if I'm my relationship with my creator is, is solid and I have an open channel and I do my due diligence, I pray and I listen and I try to live a moral life than everything else, then collectively as a society, we don't have to worry about the darkness or the evil coming in and taking over. Um, but people have basically, Americans have basically developed an entitlement mentality where we think that we're entitled to everything because we're Americans and there's really no, no, we really don't have time to take, make the effort and, and, and expend the diligence that's required to preserve the civil society that as we know it, as our framers created it. So it really always comes back to me to, down to the individual. And if you choose to, to shut that aside and you just say, okay, well, I'll just let somebody else worry about it. Well, the people that are worrying about it are the people that want to control everything. So you either, uh, you either do your part or you step aside and let somebody else do it for you. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said those who would sacrifice safety uh, for, uh, was it, um, those who would give up their liberty for safety deserve neither. Because that, that's just, it's proven that if you give up your individuality and you submit or subject yourself or surrender to the collective, then the collective is going to rule your life. And then yeah. you lose all the transparency because they don't want you to find out that they're actually controlling you. So we kind of live in a very rampant age of idiocracy right now. And it, it just, um, that's just the nature of the beast. And that's why this system that is in place now, how it came into being, uh, under the radar and then just surfaced all of a sudden and everybody was kind of like you throw that in with the COVID yeah I mean let well, me here, put it to you this way let me put right. it to you this way just I'll spin, right. let me finish my thought um, there's nothing in the election laws that says that there's a pandemic all laws don't mean anything there's nothing there that says that. It doesn't, the laws were not written conditionally saying, well, if we have a certain situation here or a certain situation there, that allows us to have the authority to just, okay, all bets are off. We'll determine how it's going to be. This is what Newsom did. Newsom came out and said, since I declared this, uh, the Constitution says I have the right to declare a state of emergency. Therefore, that means I have the right to do whatever I want to do. The, the law didn't say that. It said you have the right to declare a state of emergency. It doesn't mean all laws regarding election integrity are now null and void, and we'll create the system the way we want it and then sell it to the public that we're ensuring your safety. 
that that's probably the biggest lie about this whole thing. Not only the pandemic, but the election integrity issue. So, um, I don't know. That's kind of a long answer. I don't know if I got to the point you wanted me to, but uh. no, no, it's <laughs> it's not predetermined. I, I it's a genuine thought and, and conversation. Here here's a question though for you to think about, John, and and that is that if the the voters you said there's a kind of an idiocracy here. If, if you don't trust the voters to make a determination of how things should be run, then why would you care about election integrity? Well, because if, if, if ignorance is going to determine the outcome, at least let the ignorance be counted accurately. (laughs) And yeah. And then have to, and then, then have, after that, that you can't there, complain. There's, there's responsibility then, right? We're just people saying, can think about it. Okay, if 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 the if the other side, if the Democrats, if the liberals, the I don't even call them liberals anymore. To me, they're fascists. But even if these people win the election, if they do it honestly and with transparency and with integrity, then we don't have anything to complain about. Okay, now. Yeah, we're the ones that voted these people in. We give who we deserve. But it's about the integrity of the process, not the outcome. And this is what people get hung up on. It's like we want to overturn the elections. We're not saying overturn the elections. We're saying have it counted, every legally cast ballot counted accurately. Then whatever the result is, it is. Right. Yeah, because then you want to be able to focus your effort on persuading for the next election instead of because otherwise there's two questions there's two issues there's the issue of persuasion which you always have you always have that with the younger generation you got to capture the younger generation but then i think you're the worry that you have is that you spend all this time and energy on persuasion and let's say you're successful but if the if the systemic issues are not taken care of then nefarious actors can come in and, and distort the results is what you're saying, right? Well, what I'm saying is that if, if, if the results are honest and fair, then we have to live with that. We have to live with the fact, okay, we elected these people and we deserve what we get for electing them. Sure. But if you could say, we're not sure that the results were fair and honest, then that brings in the whole dynamic of, Okay, so what do we have? Right. Now, um, what do you think would be the best way to go about it? To, to So let's say all the voter rolls are cleaned up. What's the, What else do we have to do? Like, let's make a checklist of stuff. If John Matthews is in charge of everything and everybody had to do what you, had, you said, how, what would you do? What, what's your list of priorities? Well, the first thing would be to clean up the voter rolls, because by doing that, we eliminate a lot of the ballots that are being generated uh, that should not be generated. That that's that reduces a lot of uh, a lot of the, uh, the problems that we have with not knowing exactly how many ballots are being sent out that should not be sent out. Okay, so that eliminates part of the problem. The biggest problem is eliminating the system itself, the vote-by-mail system. And the biggest problem with the vote-by-mail system, 
outside of being able to inject ballots into it uh, for less than honest reasons, uh, um, what happens is now you eliminate the, the biggest problem with the vote by mail system is the chain of custody. From the time the ballot is mailed out to the time the ballot is actually counted, it can go through any number. I think it's up to 17 different steps before it gets actually to the place where it's tallied. So you have all these people handling these ballots. And even though they tell you, well, we're trying to maintain the integrity of the ballot, the system itself allows those ballots to be manipulated at any point in time based on algorithms that tell them where the ballot count is going. The ballot count, I'd like to let people know, when the ballot, when your ballot is actually counted, it's counted. There's no question about whether the ballot is counted or not. It's what takes place before that ballot is counted that is an issue. What happens during the processing of the ballot that can be manipulated towards a given end? If you send in a ballot, uh, for instance, a real simple example, because one of the big areas that we deal with is what they call ballot remakes. Every vote-by-mail ballot has to be scannable. It has a scan code on it. It has to be scannable. That means the ballot has to be clean when it's put into the scanner. If there's anything on that ballot that's not supposed to be there, the scanner will not pick it up. So if a ballot comes in, I'll give you a real a real quick example. We've had a great number of people that have mailed in their sample ballots instead of the ballot that they were mailed. So the processors pull that ballot out and they see that it's a scanned ballot. Well, the scan or the uh, uh, sample ballot, the sample ballot has a watermark on it. It says sample ballot. Apparently it's not big enough for people to read, but they mark the ballot and they mail it in. The scanner is not going to read that ballot because it has that watermark on it. <clears throat> so what do you have to do? You have to remake the ballot, which means they take that scan code and they generate another ballot. And then they physically manually mark that ballot, supposedly the way that the sample ballot is marked. And so it can be scanned. That's that the sounds law requires very... That, that huh? sounds illegal to me. It, it's not illegal. It's unethical, but it's not illegal. Well, but, but aren't, isn't the, isn't, I th it sounds illegal to me because. It does. Uh, it does. And when you say that to people, that's what the first thought comes to you. Well, why would they be able to do that? You would think that the law was stipulated. If you're stupid enough to send in a sample ballot, we don't yeah. count it. Okay, yeah, but that's you, not what they send do. In something that you can't like if I if I fill out if I fill out a napkin at Arby's and it's it's got it's got some uh, special sauce on it. It's got a little bit of mustard maybe, I don't know. And then I I happen to write Gavin Newsom on it and and I a circle I darken the circle and, I, and then I mail that in. Uh if and of course it's not going to get scanned. But someone generates a ballot for me. 
Well, you know, I I just don't understand how that that's, you know, I mean, and then the the person there votes for Larry Elder instead of me. They saw clearly on the napkin. But I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't understand how that could not be illegal. And maybe that's what we need to do is make that illegal. That's that's what we should do is make it illegal. Now, how do they do that? How do they do? Because you just brought up something that happened in 2018 or during the pandemic, during the recall. Not the recall, the 2020 election. I'm sorry, I'm getting it mixed up. The 2020 the, the election. recall was last year, 2021. Okay, yeah. 2020 election, pandemic is in place. Again, the system is designed for speed and saturation, meaning the idea of the vote by mail system is to get as many ballots as you can into the hands of voters. Right? We're not worried about integrity at this point or transparency. It's getting the ballot into their hands. Thinking if we get it into their hands, that somehow they'll cast that ballot. All right. In 2000, in 2020, because of the pandemic, they were allowing people to put more than one mail ballot in one envelope. They were allowing people to write on a piece of paper who they wanted to vote for and put it in the envelope and send it in. Now, I, to their credit, most counties did not honor the write-in ballot like that. Uh, I don't know if every county did. And I know L.A. County, which is what I worked in that election. Was it an official ballot that they were writing on or was no, it a napkin? You could write it on a piece of paper. I vote for Joe Biden. So in, other, in other words, there's a piece of trash uh, flying by on the street, and it's a McDonald's wrapper. You grab it and you write it. And that that would count. It would, it, by their rules during the pandemic, that was legitimate. I could I could take my mask off and write it on the mask and then send and that send in. It in. Right. Okay. Now, to their credit. Like I said, L.A. County, which is the county I worked in 2020, um, would not honor that. I asked them specifically. Uh, they had a specific, what they had was they had a, a uh, oh, here, this this one example I can give you will cover the whole question here that you just asked. When I went in there, they showed me a ballot that came in and it had two ballots in it and it had a piece of paper with a name written on it and who they want to vote for. Wait, so this, I asked is, a, this is a single envelope with two One ballots. And right. So there's three right. three items in there. Right. Yeah. Because I was asking them about this and they had this, the supervisor there had this one ballot and she showed it to me. She goes, this is what you're asking me about. All right. What happened was, because everything is generated in the initial processing, everything is generated off the signature on the envelope. It has to get through the verification before it goes any further. It went through the verification. The signature. I'd love to hear about that process uh, after this. Okay, so the verification went through and got to the point where they call extraction. Extraction is when they now take the ballot out of the envelope. They verified that the voter is the voter. 
and the envelope goes through, and now there's a place where they're going to open it up. Are these human hands that are opening this, or yes. is this like a yes. is this a envelope opening machine? Well, they put they put it through a machine to slice the envelope open, but they're extracted manually. Okay, so they use an electric envelope opener, and that was another issue we had. I mean, I can go down. I can just give you issue after issue. But anyway, back to the point. So she, they open up the ballot and they find these two ballots and they find the piece of paper. And I said, so what do you do? And she said, well, the signature on the envelope matched one of the ballots because the guy that filled the ballot out signed the ballot. He put his signature on the ballot. The other ballot we can't count because we don't know who it belonged to. The piece of paper we're not even going to look at. They just... They just tossed it. They don't. She goes, we're not doing that. We're not. Okay. But here's the point. Because the man had signed the ballot, he had put personal information on the ballot. So they had to remake the ballot because he had signed it. I don't understand why they say they have to remake it. Because the some, scanner, the scanner a requirement that they have to make it by law? They have to. They have to because the scanner would not have been able to read the ballot with the extra marking on it. It would have picked it up that there was a defect on the ballot. Okay, that's actually not my question. My question isn't why they thought they had to do it. I'm asking, is there a requirement by law that they have to remake a ballot that's defective? There's a requirement by procedure. There is no law that tells them how to process vote by mail ballots. It is procedure that is established. So, so in other Secretary words, State. they're seeing the result that the guy wanted. They right. see clearly who he voted for. It's not a secret right. Right. at this point. And so now it's their discretion as to whether they remake that ballot. They, I mean, it could be that none the wiser, they just throw it away but they could remake it if they want to. There's no requirement. Right. The ethical side of me says that all three ballots should have been tossed because they weren't done the right way. Period. The one, the one, you know, well, yeah, if I, if I mail in, if I use the envelope to mail in the birthday card, I, I forgot to send to my sister and I'm just, I don't want to waste it. So I'm going to put my, my, the judges I want to vote for on there. So it's got happy birthday on it. I bought it at the Dollar Tree. And it's also got, you know, I want to vote for Larry Elder. And I want to vote for these Republican candidates. And it just happens to be a Republican opening that. And he says, oh, we need to remake this. But a Democrat might look at it and say, this is a typical idiot Republican. Let's definitely toss this. But the fact that there's any discretion in this at all is what bothers me. It should not be discretion. It should be duty. Should well, be the, the thinking would be more along the more along the lines of what we think. And this is speculation, purely speculation, is that the person opens the ballot and says, I can remake this ballot and make it any way I want. And I don't care whether it was Republican or Democrat. I have a ballot that I can remake. And because, because of the restrictions, we were not close enough 
to be able to watch them remake the ballots. So, so we don't know no what they were working. Right. During, there, there, was no there was no transparency during the public health panic. Right. And then on top of that, once the ballot is remade, it is supposed to be viewed by two other people to make sure that it matches. And that wasn't being done either because they didn't have enough people. They didn't, the workload was too big. They didn't have enough people. Well, yeah. These are volunteers, right? They're paid volunteers. Okay. So I'm not sure that if that's a coherent concept, but it's like, it's sort of like saying a free gift. When people say free gift, I'm like, well, is there another kind? What's the other kind of gift? I I, I, I want to know about the other kind of unfree gift. But, well, uh, me, but you're talking let me about. Put it you, let me put it to you this way. In the volunteers day, that are getting paid, you're saying. The, yes, because back in the day, when we used to go down to our local precinct and vote, the people that worked the precincts were volunteers. People from the community would volunteer to go in and check people in and supervise the ballots. Those ballots were sent to a registrar's office and they were immediately processed. All right. Now, because you have vote centers and you have vote by mail processing, they don't have enough volunteers. And so now what they do is they contract people to come in and they pay them 15 bucks an hour, whatever it is they're paying them. And these people work shifts. So you would have a room full of anywhere from 30 to 150 workers working in like in LA County 24 seven. Is this government money that's ballot. paying these volunteers? And every one of these volunteers are being paid. Oh, who are they being paid by the, the government? The county, by the state. Okay, so it's tax money? Yeah. Hmm. Um, now, whether okay. it's county tax money, Who's whether it's county tax money or state tax money, but it's tax money. Okay, so that's an issue right the there. Counties. Okay, the counties. county registrars. So somebody's hiring these people. How do they get the people? They put out a notice. We're hiring. Okay. They solicit college campuses mostly. Oh, geez. There you go, right there. Right. As soon as you said that, I, uh, my, I, I, I was about to say, do they, do they knock on the doors of churches to ask for volunteers? The women's Bible study, the, the youth group. Uh, Nothing I know of. I don't know. The, I do know the most. No, I don't think they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to the colleges. Right. Fascinating. Is everybody listening to this? <laughs> you're not. If you're not concerned at this point. Then you're probably. Yeah, we haven't even talked about already. the system itself yet. There's a lot of people that are not concerned about this at all, but they've died recently. They're already dead. It, you have to be awake. So, in other words, uh, John, is what you're saying is that the local population has to be engaged each election that happens. Yes. You can't just. You can't just. Uh, mail your ballot in or, or fill out your ballot and then cross your fingers and go, whew, I did my part. In other words, you're saying, no, you're, there's a huge picture here you're missing. And that is that the system really is you. It's, it's the people. If they're not engaged and they're not demanding transparency, the transparency won't be there. It doesn't magically come down from heaven and it's transparent. 
I would put it this way. The system is designed to manipulate your vote. And if you're not concerned about that, you're there's probably a way, though, there's a way you got to push back. You have to have enough people where they're watch you're watching and you're but it has to be people that are concerned, right? Right. Right. I I I've actually put it to people, if you're not concerned enough about this, then don't vote. I'd rather have you not vote than to put a ballot into a system that is may not be counted accurately the way that you voted it. That's I think my a lot of people don't I think a lot of people just take for granted that what they put on the ballot is what gets into the result. Sure. And they true. think that's the end of it. I did my part. I'm out. Right. right. But that's you're saying true. no, there's no requirement by law that that happens. The requirement by law is that every person will receive a ballot by mail. It is not law that they cast that ballot. It is only law that they receive it. So when we talk to people about how are we going to beat the system, our way of thinking is simple. Instead of using your vote by mail ballot and putting it into a system that is designed to manipulate Simply go down to your vote center and request a paper ballot and vote in person because the chain of custody on a, on a, on a vote center ballot is from the center to the tally room. There is nothing else that takes place in between. So we're telling, we're hoping what we're trying to get people to do is if we get more people to show up in person and vote in person, not using the vote by mail ballot, we will render the vote by mail ballot system ineffective. And at some point in time, they won't be able to justify spending the money to keep it. Ah, uh, okay. That's interesting. Now you're talking, John. So basically you got to motivate people to show up in person. And you're right. talking about California specifically, because right. this, this podcast is going out all over the world. If you can imagine, we actually have people all over the world listening to us. So well, I, I'm talking about this. specifically California in the United States. I would say this, any state that uses vote by mail has got the same thing going on. So any state that votes by mail, I would recommend voting in person and not using that vote by mail ballot at all. Some states require it by law. Some, pay, some states you can request it. Some states may mail the ballots out, but it's not a lawful thing. You know, it's not the law says you have to do it. California happens to establish the first law that Newsom signed into law the day after the recall was making vote by mail mandatory, meaning that every voter would receive a ballot by mail. It does not mean that you have to cast that ballot. That's something that people get confused about. It just means that you will receive one. So we tell people simply Take your ballot with you, go to a vote center and say, I want a ballot. I don't want to use my vote by mail. I want a ballot. Now, you may get a paper ballot or like in L.A. County, you get touch screen. You go and do the touch screen and then it generates a paper ballot when you're done. But the point being is that you want to vote in person 
because it cancels out everything else that can happen to that vote by mail ballot. When when it when the touch screen thing generates a paper ballot, is that the one that is cast, the paper ballot, or do you right. take that home with you as a receipt or what? Well, I don't understand. Well, in LA County, what happens is it looks like a little it looks like a big iPad. And all you, what they do is you when you walk in, they give you a blank ballot form with your scan code on there. And you put that ballot into a machine. You slide it in the machine. The touch screen comes up and all the selections are on the touch screen. So you make your selections. At the end, when you get to the end, it will, if you've missed anything, it will kick you back to that place and say, there's nothing there. Or maybe you're only supposed to vote for one person, but you voted for two. So make your selection. It, it allows you to correct the ballot. At that time, you say, okay, now it's, the ballot reads the way I want it to. That then prints that ballot out on that piece of blank paper that you put in there. You look at the ballot and you make sure that it's what you want. And then you can put it back into the machine and you hit a button that says, cast my ballot. And then that ballot is submitted into the machine and stored. Then it is taken into the county center and counted. So there's a paper ballot that is actually the one that's counted. Right. Right. That's, I'm only talking about LA County. Not every county does everything exactly right. the same. Okay. All so, right. yeah, and see, and paper ballots can be audited. The vote by mail ballots cannot yeah. be audited. And the reason. Oh, it, I did not know that. Say that the again. They can't be audited. Again. Yeah, the reason they can't be audited. Well, hold is, on. Say it again so that in case people miss that because it's a big thing you just said. Vote by mail. I'm not. Oh, let me re, re, let me rephrase that. I'm not saying that vote by mail ballots can't be audited, but I can say that the process of auditing a vote by mail ballot is expensive and very extensive. And the reason being is because in counties like LA, they have eliminated precincts, so all these you vote anywhere in the county, not in a precinct. That means all the ballots that come in, there is no filing system. And so all the ballots are put in a single room. So you go in and you want to check on something and you say, you're going through an audit, which audit is all digital, which basically means they throw they, everything comes up digitally. And you look at it and you say, that ballot doesn't look right to me. I want to see it. They have to go down to that center where they've got their four million, six million ballots stored and go through every single ballot to find that because there's no filing system. And they charge you eleven thousand dollars a day to do that. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So what they do is they bleed you out of money. Sure. I was involved in a recount. You got, you got a time limit issue here, too. Right. And you've People got to certify the results. Yeah. So I, I know recently I was involved in a, rec in a recount in Long Beach on uh, a bill, special election, and the bill was AB 33. And it was a bill that was trying to uh, undercut the uh, Jarvis taxpayer law. Uh, it had to do with commercial properties versus private property, that kind of thing. That ballot, uh, that initiative was losing on election night by 800 votes, but the next morning, one by 18. So the people in Long Beach said, 
something's wrong. And we know it's because of the ballot harvesting. They brought in ballots at the last minute through ballot harvesters. So they wanted to recount. And so they asked myself and Ruth Weiss from Election Integrity Project California to be part of this. And we went down and we were part of the recount process. A long story short, what they ended up doing was they, they stalled uh, because of the COVID. They said, we don't have enough workers to do it. And we're like, okay, well, the law doesn't say that you can't do this because of COVID. They finally got enough people in. Then there's a couple of days it took them to uh, put the system together that they were going to do and look at everything. And anyway, we're there for two weeks. We ended up recounting about 100 ballots. And then when we started asking for audits, the audits is a hundred ballots. That's that's nothing, right? Out of ninety-nine thousand ballots, we got through. We were able to recount a hundred of them because of the way they stalled us during the system. Wow. They used the system to stall us. Anyway, what it ended up doing was bleeding the organization out of money, so that they couldn't continue because they were charged to the six thousand dollars a day to do this, and the organization that was putting up the money simply ran out of money. And so we couldn't continue. That's how they do things. Uh, hard your time. Hard to know. Hard to know what to what to say. Um, <laughs> can you tell us a, a bit about the California Election Integrity Project? Is it an arm of the Republican Party? What is it? Not at all. We're not a, we're nonpartisan. We're not affiliated with anybody. And I, and I really, I really. Tell us I'm, about it. Are you up and down the state, or is it just in Southern California? We're in California. We're in Arizona, and we're in Nevada. Okay. Is it? Uh, how do you get money to do what you're doing? Who's who's from giving public, money for it? From the public. We're, we're nonpartisan. So, so you solicit donations? Yes. In fact, I'm, that was one of the things I want to do before I get off with you today. Is it really, you can go to our web. There's two things, really important things happening right now. One, uh, we need money for the lawsuit. Uh, the, the lawyers are all working pro bono, but we have court costs. Yeah. We win our case. Then with the, the condition that we're asking, if we win our case, is that we're able to audit the last three elections. That's going to run into money, but that's what we want to do. We want to be able to prove that all the evidence that we've been putting in for the last 12 years is accurate and true. And the only way we can really do that is through an audit. So if we win the lawsuit, I'm going to say when we win the lawsuit, we're asking to audit the last three elections. Uh, so we need money. Any is your your money and your tax is tax tax deductible, and you can go to our website eip-ca.com. And say that, we'll say that one more time: eip eip-ca.com. Okay. And then the other thing we need is we're we're now training volunteers for November, and again. If you go to the website, eip-ca.com, at the very top of the homepage, you'll see a volunteer button. Click on that button. It'll put you on our mailing list, and then you'll have to fill out a couple of forms. One is a confidentiality agreement. 
And the other one is a short application giving us information about you. And then send that in. And then we will notify you of training dates. I think we believe we're starting to train, I believe, in August. So we definitely need more volunteers. Let me uh, just tell everybody how I came into awareness of the California Integrity Project. Um, I met Catherine. Uh, her last name is Gerges, I think. Is that Gerges. how you say Gerges? Gerges. And she's uh, an older lady um, that I met years ago with a local political action committee that I helped to found in Orange County. And she would come to the meetings and um, our, our committee was not partisan. It was a single issue focused on only the second amendment. Uh, and she came to that and she talked to our group about, um, about uh, the California election integrity project. And I was so impressed with her as a person because um uh, she convinced me that there was a huge need that was not being filled and, and it wasn't being filled because probably people didn't know that there was such a need to be filled. I mean, so many people think uh, that things are kind of on automatic, you know, like you get your, you, you get your driver's license renewal in the mail and you send it in, you send the money in and you get a new driver's license, you know, or if they, if you need to come down and, and get a new picture, they'll tell you. But it, what I mean by that is it's automatic. It's, it's, it's not, it's not like you have to get the neighborhood together to get your driver's license again, you know, I mean, but with elections, it's different. It's not, there is a, an automatic thing in place but it might not be the thing you think is in place. And that really depends on people getting involved, everyday people making sure that things are legit and kosher. Otherwise, there's all sorts of things that can happen that people are not aware of that would make you feel uncomfortable and maybe even your skin crawl. And Catherine told our group about some specific stories that she witnessed firsthand at polling places at precincts that were quite disturbing uh things that were illegal and uh and she said and this is just stuff that i witnessed and it, there's all sorts of things that you don't witness because there's nobody there because you don't have enough volunteers and it, it it seemed like it was elderly ladies that were doing this that that were involved and it's hard to get the younger people involved and she was trying to get the younger people involved so she was going to people that are involved in politics to try to get them to, you know, pay attention to this. So that's how uh, California Election Integrity Project. Sorry, I said it wrong. Election Integrity Project, California. Thank you. <laughs> um, that's how it got on my radar. What's the difference between those two things, the way I said it? Oh, well, you're not going to like this. The California Election Integrity Project is a... Um, was just set up by the Republican Party for the purpose of trying to sell the idea that they're interested in election integrity. But what they're doing is using the site to, to raise funds for their, their candidates because the party is losing people. 
and the candidates are they don't have the money to fund their establishment types so they created with and we actually i believe we actually are in the process of issuing a cease and desist order to the republican party to quit using our name uh they just they took election integrity project california reversed it and just put california in the front and they're using it for fundraising so there's a lot of other groups out there uh some people there's a group out there called eip it's not our group there's a uh, another group called election integrity that's not our group there's uh uh, a whole bunch of groups out there that are trying to capitalize on our name uh, because we have been effective. And so they, the name brings in money. And so they're kind of like, so that's what they're using it for. So we're very adamant about people using the correct name wow. because we want to be identified correctly. Yeah. Wow. That's uh that's fascinating. Um <laughs> I, 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 I don't even know where else to go. I think I, I'm so grateful for all your time. You obviously have a lot of passion involved with this and, you know, we're not affiliated no, with the Republican party. I mean, you just spent like the last three minutes saying you're not affiliated with the Republican party. In fact, you're saying to the Republicans stop using our name. We're not affiliated with anybody. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. why should a Democrat get involved in this? What would you say? Well, we have Democrats involved. Uh, this isn't just a Republican thing. It isn't just a conservative thing. And there are people out there on all sides of the aisles that are looking at what's going on and saying something's not right. Not every Democrat is an idiot. Okay, it's just most of them are, but not every one of them. But and and I don't mean I shouldn't use that word idiot. I just say ignorant. Okay, people aren't stupid, but they're ignorant. They don't pay attention or they ignore what they see or they hope it goes away or they hope to think somebody else will fix it. So calling somebody an idiot is not actually accurate. It's just there's an ignorance factor in the average voter. But there are Democrats out there that are just as concerned as we are. There are people out there that want Joe Biden to be president, but they want to be able to say that he was voted in legitimately. There's nothing wrong with that. That's right. You know, yeah, so- absolutely. I think if the if there's a problem with the procedures or the rules as they're enforced, those could be manipulated by either side. And if it just turns out that the Democrats have more people on the ground and they have more of an interest in doing that in, in one election, it might not follow that that's the case in another place or, you know, in a different one. So, so yeah, I think that we all, we all have an interest in, in seeing that there's more transparency and that the thing that happens makes sense to everybody. Yeah. Well, to get, to just give you another real quick example, because I know we got to be running out of time here. Um, Arizona just had a case file that went to the Supreme Court over the, um, legality of ballot harvesting and that went before the supreme court and our brief that we submitted on behalf of election integrity project california to the supreme court we submitted an amicus brief that swayed the court in our favor and so now they're they're 
working on legislation to make ballot harvesting illegal in Arizona. So these are the things that we've been doing over the years. Is we Tell provide people what ballot harvesting is in case people don't know what that is. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's just a matter of just well, can, you, can you define the term? Can you define the term ballot harvesting for anybody that doesn't know what that term means? Okay, ballot harvesting. There was a law. The law used to read, the election code used to read that if a person could not turn their ballot in, that a member of the family or somebody residing in the same residence as the voter could turn that ballot in for them. They would have to take an oath at the time they walked in to hand a ballot in. You have to take an oath that you were authorized by the voter to turn this in, and you would have to sign on the ballot that you were the one that did it. You were the one to turn it in. In 2000, between the 2016 and 2018 election, they made it legal for anybody to turn in a ballot for anybody else. And so what happened was it set into motion people going out and soliciting people to give them their ballots. And now we have people that would were paying. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie 2000 Mules uh, written by uh, Denise D'Souza. That's a very good I have movie. Not, I have not seen it. Okay. That is about ballot harvesting. And it is what basically is they hire people, they hire people and they call them mules to go out and collect ballots and they pay them two to three dollars for every ballot that they collect. Okay, and then these are turned in to the vote centers through the drop boxes. So that's what ballot harvesting is. It's, it's when somebody goes out and collects a bunch of ballots and then brings it in and turns it in, uh, usually through drop boxes. So um, how does that get past the uh, voter signature? Thing. I mean, is it who's who's the one that filled the ballot out? Is it well? It, it depends. Some places the voter has filled it out, and okay. then they just give it to the, the harvester. Other places, the harvester will go. You know, little old lady Aunt Millie, who's eighty years old, and she's got her ballot. They knock on her door. Hey, have you voted yet? She goes, No. Well, here, let me help you. And they help her fill out the ballot, and then they take the ballot and turn it in. These are strange old ladies. Most most old ladies I know wouldn't open the door for some stranger. <laughs> well, I, I apparently yeah. it happens on a pretty large scale. Okay. But one of the places where like they target convalescent homes, uh, mm -hmm. they target hospitals, uh, and then senior centers. Senior centers, believe it or not, are, a lot of them are very politically active, but they're politically active uh, because they depend on government money. Yeah. So there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why. Right. When this when this system first came out, I attended all of their community forums where they were out there educating the public on what this was. And every single one, every single event I went to was either at a senior home, it was either at a hospital, or it was in a uh, low-income neighborhood. And because those were the targets, those are people that don't historically vote. And they wanted these people to have ballots so that they could collect those ballots and do what they need to do. So they're not going to Beverly Hills and, and ballot harvesting Beverly Hills or, no. or Brentwood. 
or no. Newport Coast. They're going to Garden Long Grove Beach. or something. Downtown or Long Compton. Beach or downtown LA or Watts or Compton. So, like that. all right. How how do they get how how does the signature verification thing work then? I mean, how do you know what? I mean, I can't imagine looking at two thousand signatures and being able to tell. I mean, that sounds very subjective to me. It is. How, how do you tell? So objective that the law is written in such a way. They use the word liberally. You will liberally scan the, the signatures, meaning anything even looks close, you just pass it through. And again, when you're talking about the workload and they have to get these signatures yeah. through, yeah. it just becomes an exercise in just pushing them through. One of our biggest... But it seems like you yeah, could just fall it. You could... Do they ever get denied based on that? Sometimes. But again, it's all the process. Yeah. If a signature is rejected by a worker saying this signature doesn't match, what happens? And match what? How are they getting the original signature? How do they get that? Is it on a computer? It's on a computer? Yeah, on a voter roll or through the DMV. Um, and in some cases, we've even heard, although I've never been able to document it, that they're able to access certain bank records to be able to see people's signatures on credit cards. That's a, that's so, that's creepy right there. That, yeah, it's, that's it's super creepy. It's data mining. That's what it is. It's biometric. It's biometric surveillance. But the um, uh, so they're just very liberal with the signature verification, and um, but what happens is, is they, if a ballot is rejected. They take that ballot and they set it aside and then they mail a letter to the voter asking the voter if they cast the ballot and they have the voters sign the letter. The letter comes back and then they match the signature to the letter. And if it matches, they put it through. If it doesn't, they don't. The voter has 14 days from the day that they, the letter is sent to respond. Okay. And that's probably yeah, different depending on which county you're in. Yeah. Well, the main emphasis I want to make is the system is designed to be lengthy yeah. and complicated, but it's also designed as for speed. So you've got a complicated gotcha. system and you're trying to move through it very yeah. quickly. You can't be consistent with yeah. what you're supposed to do. Right. Okay. So the more people that understand these basic things about the system, the better, right? You want, you want to educate people on what's really happening. It's not as automatic as you think. You got to really be aware as a, as a voter, how, how it works. I mean, right. I think that that that's probably step one, right? And the answer, the solution is always vote in person. That's okay. the solution. Don't even entertain the idea of doing anything with a vote by mail ballot. Just vote in person. Unless you're in the hospital. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for uh, spending so much time with us uh, today, John. I really appreciate it. Uh, sharing your knowledge and expertise and your passion about election integrity. Well, I, I again, I'm thank you for taking the time to listen. And again, just please visit our website, eip-ca.com 
You can donate. We definitely need donations, contributions, tax deductible, and we certainly need more people to volunteer. And we can train you. If nothing else, you'll walk away having an education in our election system that you'll never get anywhere else. Yes, I guarantee that. Okay, thanks, John. I'll link all of that information and anything you send to me by email, I will link it in the description on the episode notes so that anybody who gets this on Apple Podcasts on their phone or their tablet, they will be able to click that link and go right to your system. And I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. We're happy to help. Thank you very much, John Matthews of the Election Integrity Project, California, Orange County specifically, right? You're in Orange County or Southern California. Thank you. Thank you, John. Bye.